Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Joshua Friedman to talk about how to put emotional intelligence into action. Emotional intelligence, a vital skill, something that we all need, yet many of us are not well-developed. We're going to have a great conversation about why emotional intelligence is important, the challenges today, and then how you can start to take action. But before we dive in, let me tell you a little bit about today's guest, Joshua Friedman. Joshua is one of the world's top experts on using emotional intelligence to improve performance. He's the co-founder and CEO of Six Seconds, the global nonprofit dedicated to teaching people how to use emotional intelligence, or EQ. He owns the EQ Network Group on LinkedIn with over 150,000 active members and is a master certified coach. Josh is an instructor for Columbia Teachers College Summer Principals Academy and for Antioch University's Doctorate in Education and Social Emotional Learning and also teaches professionals all around the world practical tools to measure and create value with emotional intelligence. I hope you enjoy our conversation on how to put emotional intelligence into action. Hello, hello, everyone. So excited to have Josh Friedman on the podcast today. We are talking about emotional intelligence, why we need it today, what's the cost of not, And we're going to explore why organizations haven't been investing in it in the way that they should. And steps that you can take right now to put emotional intelligence into action, to deepen your understanding so you can be a more effective leader. You can be a more effective organization. That's what's on the docket today. But Josh, I'm so glad that you're here. Happy Monday. It's great to be here with you today. And if you could just go ahead and tell our audience of the Leadership Habit a little bit about yourself. Well, I um, when I fill in that customs form and you're supposed to write, you know, your your what your occupation is, I never quite know what to put. Uh, I usually end up putting educator. Um, I'm an author. I'm a researcher. I'm a CEO. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a master certified coach, and my work is all about. Uh, practical ways of using emotional intelligence in our organizations and our families and communities, schools all over the world. And the organization that I lead now works in 150 countries and territories. And we've been for 25 years working to increase the world's emotional intelligence. And uh, I, I think there's a lot more work to do. <laughs> you know, it is so interesting. And I agree with you. There's so much work out there. Mainly because I feel like people think that they're self-aware. And you and I talked about this on the pre-call. They think that they're self-aware and they really are actually pretty blind to maybe some challenges that they have or actions that they're doing. So I know that you are going to have business for a long time to come because I live in the leadership space and the world needs it. Um, the world needs more emotionally intelligent leaders. We need that in our organizations. We need that in our communities and even in our relationships with friends and family. Um, but to jumpstart, I want to dive into, you know, some research that your firm just did. And because I found it incredibly interesting, saddening, but also something that I think leaders need to know. Can you tell us about the research that you most recently conducted? So I lead something called State of the Heart, which is the world's largest study of emotional intelligence. We're now uh, well over a decade, almost 15 years 
into collecting and sharing this data. And it's a randomized sample uh, from over 140 countries. So it's a very widespread look at emotional intelligence. And in the last few years, we've seen more turbulence than any other time in this research. And the, the findings that we're releasing this year are disturbingly complicated. And uh, I think as we look at our experiences over the last year and what it's been like in our workplaces and communities and just the the roller coaster, to use a polite word for it, of these of, of the 2020s so far, uh, the emotional intelligence scores are mirroring that. And, and I think in some part, emotional intelligence is driving what's happening. And in some ways, it's a reaction to what's happening. Uh, I think about another metaphor of the, you know, as the waves get very big, it's harder to sail. And so in the complexity, in the disconnection, in the isolation, in the burnout, all around us, you know, over the last th three years, there's been so much energy that we've expended to cope and navigate and pivot. And, you know, we, we all got real tired of, well, we're in unprecedented times and we're still in unprecedented times. And I, I, maybe this is the new normal, but it sure doesn't feel stable. And in this instability, there's a lot of work people are doing just to kind of stay sane, to say cogent, to keep people together. And that work has a price and that price tag is coming due. Now you, the phrase of your, of your work or <clears throat> that we had talked about, this is a global human energy crisis. And yeah. I know that our research and our experience is different, but I could relate to that just in the work that I see with leaders every day. But tell me about what did you mean? Because that's a pretty big title, right? That makes you want to turn toward and listen. What did you mean when you said a global human energy crisis? Either turn toward and listen or run away. Right? <laughs> so it's actually Kathleen Hogan, the chief people officer at Microsoft, who I first heard use this term. And what we're seeing... Um, you know, in in the data that that Microsoft publishes and 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 Hogan's work, uh, what what we're seeing in our own research is that uh, people are running out of steam. As I said, over these last few years, we've been doing so much emotional work. In um, one of our studies that we publish on team vitality, we found that actually between nineteen and twenty one, teams in many ways had become more vital, more agile, more stronger as teams in all the areas except sustainability. And in the new research, what we're seeing is a decline in an area that we call drive. It has to do with uh, seeing options, with feeling connected with purpose and finding energy within. And there was a massive decline in this drive scores uh, all around the world, across sectors. Now, some sectors more than others, uh, men more than women, younger people, a bigger decline. Uh, but there's a there's a loss of that energy. And if we don't solve that, I don't see how we're going to kind of stay in this space of innovation and keep adapting to the next waves that are coming. Yeah, that's so if we don't solve it, um, so what are some potential consequences? If we don't solve this and adjust our approach, to being more emotionally intelligent, to helping our people. You know, you said the innovation piece that we're going to lag. 
What, why is this? Is it because we just simply are waving white flags and we just can't do it anymore? And we'll keep, is it quitting? Will we keep quitting to find the next thing? Will we quiet quit to protect ourselves? What do you think people will do in response because they don't have things to give anymore? Yeah. Um, people cope, you know, and people cope in different ways. And, uh, Remember Hurricane Katrina and this terrible disaster in the United States. The research was interesting that it was three to five years later that the emotional toll was really the highest. When we're in the middle of crisis, we're just like, look, we're going to get, we got to do what we got to do. But that, again, that bill kind of mounts up the cost of that. We got to just, got to just figure this out. Okay, we did it. We got to go online. We got to go back. We got to change this. We got to shift this. We do it. We do it. We do it. And we get more and more depleted. And as we become more depleted, we become less resilient. We become less innovative. For many people, they become less connected because reaching out and connecting with people is an effort for a lot of folks. Uh, I hear a lot of people, especially in men in this kind of reaction of like, well, I have to figure this out before I can talk to somebody about it. And so they're like just carrying a lot of burdens. Uh, we're seeing well-being declining uh, across all the generations, again, especially younger people. And with, you know, what's going to happen is an, less and less productivity, less and less performance, but also more and more volatility. So it means people were already experiencing this, that people are coming into your office and they are discombobulated or distressed or just in a state. And um, that's getting harder to deal with because those complexities are higher than they were on average. Uh, they're higher than they were three years ago. And again, based on the, the kind of macro research Probably next year, it's going to be even harder. And the year after, even harder. So we're, I think there's this piece where humans are like, okay, well, we're through the crisis. It's okay now. But there's a lot of emotional labor that's going on. And we haven't, we haven't gotten good enough at it. And okay. it's going to be very hard if we don't deal with it. it. It feels like, you know, I think everyone thought everything was going to be done once everything opened back up, right? That was just mm -hmm. COVID. That was just a moment of time. But how I'm hearing what you're saying is that to some extent, we've all been living in this survival mode, this stress response of fight, flight, freeze. And now we're starting to come out of that, but we haven't even processed. Because in Survivor, mm -hmm. we were doing, you know, managing the conversions, managing the change, trying to keep things afloat. And now is the time that people are actually starting to be aware, or maybe their bodies are finally forcing them to feel the emotional components of everything that they've been through. Is that a way? To, am I understanding it right? Yeah, I think so. I think about it a little bit like a cell phone when it gets old and you plug it in and in the morning it's like, oh, 100%. And then at 10 a.m. you're like, wait, why is my phone at 30%? It's <laughs> just charged. Right. And I, I certainly have experienced that some some weeks in the last few years where I just I was depleted, not just tired, but depleted. And so recharging was harder. Uh, I've 
been working on it. And I feel like I'm in a much better shape in this, you know, not, not just physical shape, but kind of emotional shape. I've been going to the emotional gym and working out. Um, and I feel like I'm in a much better state than I was a year ago. And my depletion is less deep. My battery stays charged for longer. But that's not what the data is showing is happening on average. What's happening right. for most of us is this place of like little things are affecting us in big ways. So it could be a, like a little thing, maybe missing a deadline or someone not giving us blank. We might have a much bigger reaction to that than what we would five years ago. You know, yeah. same situation. And and it's tragic, really. I mean, the the consequences of this are very, very deep and very painful. And we're seeing people doing horrible things to each other. Right. It and, feels like um, people are frail. They're more emotionally fragile than what they ever were. It's kind of like a, you know, another metaphor. You imagine, you know, this sort of vol volcano and the the kind of pressure has built up. And, you know, some, some lava is kind of spit out, but the pressure is there. It doesn't mean that it's not going to erupt anymore just because some lava got spit out, right? It's like the, the pressure is there. And now, do we just ignore that? Doesn't sound smart. I don't, can you ignore it? Because from where I sit, I think I'm seeing more people that have been First and foremost, I've, I've heard from, we talked about even gender differences, like even men shouldering it or feeling like I have to solve this. I'm noticing in the last year, more and more men reaching out and asking like, I can't deal with this pressure anymore. That is something that I can say in my 10 years of coaching, very, it wasn't as common to have men be as vulnerable. And I'm noticing that in a different way. But then substance abuse. Yeah. You know, substance abuse driving up, like whether it's alcohol, anything else that we're using more because we don't know how to cope anymore to all of this. I mean, all of these bleed into the workplace, but you had talked about the generations. And I, I think it's important to highlight this because I think we often might make the assumption that our younger generations, they'll figure it out. They're young, mm -hmm. like they're newer in the workforce. They've got that motivational energy of just starting out and we know that they can be resilient but mm -hmm. what we're what you're finding in the research is actually that it's a you know that that younger generation doesn't have that resilience factor or that there is a difference between the generations is that right yeah and i as you said I, we would expect that younger people would be more optimistic would be more willing to try things would be more and you know we've heard a lot about Gen Z being very purpose-driven, very values-driven, and yet this drive strand includes that that being values-driven. Uh, it includes optimism, and those scores are lower for Gen Z. Basically, the younger you are, on average, again, globally, the younger you are, the more deeply impacted you've been by what's happened in the last three years. And there's a level of, um, and we see other well-being data uh, the U.S. Surgeon General released an advisory on adolescent mental health for the first time in history, saying, look, we are facing a crisis. Uh, we're seeing more emergency room visits by like uh, 20, 30, 40, 50% increase by young, young people. So it's not just like, oh, you know, things are tough, but like 
kids going to the ER because of emotional crisis. That's a pretty big deal. In terms of our workplaces, again, people are coming in, whether it's a customer, whether it's an employee, whether it's yourself, whether it's an investor, people are coming in more fraught, more fragile, more volatile. And so there's this, um, this emotional work that if we don't, if we don't do the emotional work, we're going to face bigger costs. And I wish we didn't have to, but we do. And so, and as you think about this, this young generation coming into your workplace, and you might be frustrated saying, you know, well, why aren't they more resilient? Why, why isn't there more grit? Why don't they just pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Well, their bootstraps are broken. And if you ignore that and you just say, well, they just got a deal. You know, you wouldn't say that about, you know, a machine you use in your workplace. You wouldn't say that about like your computer, like smoke is coming out of your computer. You don't just say, look, come on, suck it up. Right? You're like, oh, huh, there's something going on. I better deal with this. Well, folks, there's something going on. We better deal with this. Yeah. I, I love that call. And even what you just shared, I'll be specific to you talked about adolescent or youth mental health. In Denver, Colorado, this past spring, all of their, like, not, they did not have any more capacity to take on mental health crises from adolescents. They were at full capacity. And of course, that breaks my heart because I don't think, you know, the doctors there, when they're on the news, were talking about never seeing this before. Yeah. Never seeing this before. Yeah. But, even, even a few years ago, I mean, I live in California, which has relatively high access to mental health care. I had an intern who needed psychiatric care and we could not find somebody. The answer was go to the ER. You know, and it's like, wow. That was before the pandemic. And then we've seen this huge spike in, in demand for all ages, but especially younger people. And um, those of you who are entrepreneurs out there, this is a good project to work on because this is not going away. I Yeah. And it's every time. I mean, I know we just talked about that. I taught a cl class this morning that dovetails on like managing challenge, high, high, high registration numbers. That's yeah. typically my pulse points or data points on what's happening right now. But we had talked about on our pre-call, and I think that this is such an important point of emphasis. And I know that your research has kind of led you to this path. But the difference between resiliency and a dehumanization problem, yeah. what do you mean by that? So a lot of times we say to employees, look, you got to do self-care. And yeah, absolutely. Um, I work with a lot of educational leaders. I, I teach at Columbia University in this amazing program called the Summer Principals Academy. And educators are in even deeper water on average than, than the rest of us, and especially people who are in marginalized groups. And there's this kind of attitude like, okay, well, educators, you should do more, you know, you should have more bubble baths. That'll fix it. And well, no, it won't. Like, yes, you have to do more self-care. Yes, we all have to learn how to take care of ourselves. And many of these problems are systemic. And we have to do the systems work as well. Now, I think the big challenge is it's very hard to do the systems work when we are individually depleted. 
And so if you're leading an organization, I just was in a meeting today with organizational leaders working on a big transformation project. And at the same time, the employees in this organization are having low scores on their emotional resilience, their emotional recovery, their emotional energy. It's like, okay, so we're asking people to not just keep the plane flying when they're exhausted, but now we want them to climb around and fix the plane while we're flying. And that's tough in the best of times, and these are not the best of times. So I think the risk is when we say, oh, yeah, okay, Jen, you got to take care of your well-being. Like, yeah, you do. But it's not just your responsibility. There's a collective, there's a shared responsibility. The U.S. Surgeon General also released a framework for mental health and well-being, which I found fascinating. Again, first time in history that something like this has happened in the United States. And um, it goes in depth on the business case for well-being in the workplace. Uh, hundreds of citations about why this matters and how it works how well-being is actually part of creating performance in a business, that when people have energy, they can do more work. They can be more effective. But if we don't think about it from this kind of organizational perspective and say, okay, so part of my job is to design and build an organization that's fit for humans. How do I build in structures? You know, and you, you meanwhile have certain leaders who we don't need to get into their names, but, you know, who are making headlines by saying, you know, well, we just got to tough it out. It's time to, you know, go back to the 10 hour, 12 hour workdays, like sleep at the office. I'm like, mm, I can see why you would say that. And yet it's dumb. When you look at the reality that we're in right now, don't be emotionally stupid. Be strategic with emotions. And part of that being strategic with emotions is to understand how are you building culture? How are you building systems that make you be a leader worth following, make you be an organization where people can actually thrive and not just survive? Yes. <clears throat> Where's the microphone? I was just going to drop it because I, 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 if I mean, most of our audience might know, I, I'm very passionate about mental health and. I have not even done <clears throat> the same research that you have done. I have done different research, different interactions, and they're all leading. I, I can absolutely see every single interaction I've had with someone feeding into those are other voices. Like they are there. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, people are not going to self-care Saturday themselves away. Like they're not going to somehow get this one day of recovery and be the best self that you need them to. We have a much bigger challenge that we need to solve for. And I love the point that you made, Josh, about even the leaders that we're tasking with doing this, they themselves are depleted. They don't even have the emotional capacity to start to think about how to solve this big issue. Hi, everyone. It's Jen. And I'm just coming to you because we need your help. Presscom International, the organization that hosts the Leadership Habit podcast that I proudly work for, is looking to expand their network of people that are committed to creating more ethical, engaging, and human leaders. Now, how is that relevant to you? Well, we're looking for referrals. Do you know someone that is interested in giving back and being an entrepreneur and owning their own business, or that wants to make a difference and is passionate about leadership development? 
Well, I'm excited to share with you that Crestcom has just launched a referral program. If you know someone, maybe it's a past mentor or a boss that's interested in making a career change and wanting to leverage the knowledge and their experience in the classroom, send them our way. We have this new program and here's the scoop. We've designed an easy to use referral form available on crestcom.com forward slash referrals. And you can visit the site, submit your referrals and access all of the rules along with required terms and conditions. Here's the sweet spot of this. If you refer a successful candidate, we'll give you $2,500. Now we want to expand and make our mission even greater, but we can't do that without your help. So if you know someone that would be interested in becoming a franchisee for an amazing leadership development organization that wants to get into the classroom and make a difference, head on over to crestcom.com forward slash referrals today and help us impact your workplaces and the leaders that you work with. Here's the only caveat. Please note that this program is currently open to applicants based in the United States only. Which I guess leads us into kind of our final segment of this conversation, which is how do we, mm-hmm. how do we start to become more emotionally intelligent? How can we increase the emotional reservoirs and capabilities of organizations so we can offset this trajectory that we're on? What's the starting point? Because I feel like you just built a really compelling case for why we need to do this. And then it comes down to like, how, what are the steps? So the first step is the case. The first step is to say, yeah, the emotional context of our work is central to value creation. And different organizations create value in different ways. You have a a kind of goal of how you're going to create value and you have a strategy for how you're going to get there. Now add in the culture that's going to support that strategy. Add in what are the emotional conditions uh, what's it like inside your organization to, that's going to support that strategy? So if your strategy is all about you know, innovation and risk-taking, you need a culture that supports innovation and risk-taking. If, you're, if you're, you know value creation strategy is about like having things be perfect, um, then you don't want a culture of risk-taking, right? <laughs> but you need that culture to align to your strategy. And this is, you know, again, the kind of strategic use of emotions to say, we can design and build a culture. And and then once you have that clear and you can build alignment with senior leadership, with board members, investors, whoever you need to, to say, yeah, we can see why this kind of emotional component of our work, it's not a nice to have, it's a need to have. It's part of our competitive advantage. Then we can go into the next step, which is about building capacity. And very few of us have had really deep training in this. And I've been fortunate uh, that I've gotten to work full-time in this space for 25 years. And I feel like I'm starting to really understand for myself as a leader and as a person and as a dad and husband and friend, like how to make this more part of my daily life. But I sure didn't learn this in school. I didn't, you know, I didn't learn this on... I learned a lot of counterexamples, right? I learned a lot of what not to do. <laughs> and we what's great is these are learnable skills. And so we build capacity for ourselves as leaders, but also within our organizational systems. So do you have, depending on the size of your organization, do you have internal and external coaches? Do you have people who 
actually know how to measure trust and grow trust? Do you do you know what the emotional capabilities that you have right now are? If not, we can measure them and we can help you see, here's where we are. This is what we need in order to reach our strategy. Now let's build in our systems. And the entire life cycle of kind of the organ, the human part of your work from attracting talent, bringing them in, retaining them, developing them, promoting them, reinforcing uh, to what is success. All, all along that pathway, we can start building in touch points to grow emotional intelligence. And what we've seen when organizations do that is they're 22 times as likely to be high performing. So the business case is quite compelling. This stuff is learnable and it's measurable. And, you know, as soon as you start saying, yeah, I get it, this is valuable. You know, organizational leaders are really good at optimizing against value. If once they decide this is valuable, like there's a million ways to, to, to go after this. And there are a lot of people who can help you do it. Once you decide, yeah, this is important for us. And I heard you say so much there as it relates to development that, you know, because I guess from where I sit, and I'm sure this is what you obviously are seeing too, everything that I've read says that culture today is very much in this hybrid or virtual world. It is very, very much set by that leader. <clears throat> I'm not talking about the ELT or the executive leadership team. It's the people that work closely with, you know, that might be the only person you see is your personal boss, not the boss that's above you by two levels or skip levels or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But if we don't give even that leader the tools or develop them in that way, they can't even deliver the culture that you want to create because they're too, like the people that you're trying to reach are too far removed from you in this hybrid world. Is that what you're hearing on uh, from your side of that culture now? Who even creates that is completely different. So one circle back here to well-being, I have been working on this topic of well-being over the last couple of years and workplace well-being. And one of the things that I was curious about is, do you as a manager have the skills that you need in order to support the well-being challenges that your employees are bringing to you? You know, the, the challenge that's coming into your office, virtual office and real office, you know, do you have the skills you need? And so I did a little survey on that and it was like 6%. The answer was yes. So I do think that this, you know, again, we have a different set of challenges. It's not, it's not different. It's an accelerated set of challenges that we're facing. And so we need to have accelerated skills. And I would say from an organizational uh, structure perspective, you know, once upon a time, you might have been able to say, yeah, you know, we'll develop people over the next few years and they'll get better and better and it'll be fine. Uh, but we're not going to invest a lot in in brand new managers, you know, because like, that's expensive and who knows if they're going to last. And that doesn't sound so smart today when you realize how much impact those managers are having and how far behind the eight ball they are. And if you, you know, yes, it is expensive, but this isn't, an, again, this isn't like, oh, we'll invest in them for the potential for the future. You've got to stop the bleeding today. And right. if you, you know, if you don't address this problem, you're going to be paying the costs in a lot of other and very problematic ways. Yeah. Turnover being one. 
in terms of your ability to be productive or serve your customer. So Josh, you you talked about skills and I know when you just shared about building capacity, you know, what we're measuring, you had mentioned trust. What are the skills that they need to be really looking at today um, in terms of if we're going to develop an emotionally intelligent workforce, what mm-hmm. are those skills that we need to begin investing in? Yeah, so we look at this from kind of two lenses, one an organizational system lens and the other is the individual lens. So from an organizational system, uh, as I said, we measure trust, we measure uh, a sense of motivation, adaptability to change, teamwork, and execution. And we found those five things are massively predictive of organizational performance. And we can measure that at a leadership level, a team level, and a whole organizational level. And so kind of looking at a kind of an, at this systems perspective, okay, so what does it mean to be what we call a vital organization, a, a healthy, thriving organization? Well, it's a place where there's a context of trust, people are motivated towards what's important, they're adaptable, they work together, and they get the important stuff done. So that kind of system lens, and then we can look at, at the individual lens and say, well, what are the capacities that that we need all of us need in order to build those kind of cultural markers uh the organization to build the culture and climate that we need and we have eight measurable learnable emotional intelligence competencies uh for example in in sort of the simple terms it's like being more aware being more intentional and being more purposeful and we have sub competencies in those that, that we can measure we can help you as an individual go, okay, well, what are, where are my emotional intelligence strengths? How do I build on that? And then we also, where it gets really juicy is we start saying, okay, let's look at this across an organization. Who are we hiring? You know, what are the, are we hiring for all of those pieces? Where is our development? Where are the needs? Where are the gaps? And we, again, you can build that capacity and, you know, you get what you measure. So if you're not putting this on the dashboard, uh, both those individual capabilities and the system that you're trying to create, you're unlikely to be getting the real value you're looking for in terms of culture and people. It is. I'm sad to say that your research is so spot on and what we need. I'm sad that we're here today, but is it safe to say that how we looked at leadership 20 years ago that personal time, personal dime, don't talk about your problems at work, get it done. I think that's dead and gone, right? We actually can no longer do that. And what we actually need of leaders today, it sounds like, and from what I'm seeing, is that they actually need to have a foundational understanding of psychology. I know that sounds intense. Is that a pretty intense way to say that? Like we have to understand human emotions. Leadership is a, a people business. Yeah. Right. And it's not about task. It's not about like, do we have a checklist for this? It's about the human beings who are going to use that checklist or not. If you are in a in a space where things are sort of smooth and easy and people are doing fine, and you go, hey, like, let's do this checklist. And you go, okay, yeah, that sounds good. And then they kind of do it. Okay done where leadership becomes more important and harder is when things aren't fine right when you're in uh, 
a complicated context, you know, whether you're literally on a battlefield or a metaphorical battlefield, whether you're, you know, you've just had a literal tsunami or a metaphorical tsunami. That's when people who are are real leaders, that's when you find out. And I think that for all of us who aspire to be, again, leaders worth following, we're in that tsunami place. Uh, many literal tsunamis, but uh, certainly a metaphorical tsunami all over. And so if people need something from you that they maybe didn't need at the same level 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but they need it from you now. And so are you going to step up to that demand? And if so, the good news is it's not that hard to learn some of these basics and get and get better at it. And, you know, I'm not a poster child for emotional intelligence in my, like, I was not good at this. And uh, I, I just keep saying, look, if I can learn this, you can learn this. And I'm, I'm not claiming that I've got it sorted, by the way, but I'm just I'm a little better than I was. And, and you can be too. No, I love that. It's just one small step. And I think it's worth sharing, you know, again, the two things that I think support, and this is all research that I saw coming from Harvard, that 90% of people think they're self-aware and only 10% actually are. So someone might have been listening to this the, during the entire podcast saying, I know that, I know that, but not really known that, <clears throat> you know, and we have to really do that work and figure out what assumptions am I making that actually are not right mm. or maybe are are worth revisiting. Or maybe, and that, yeah. or, or maybe we're okay before, but now we're in a different circumstance. And in this different circumstance, maybe we need something different. Yeah. It's and we do need more. I mean, the do more with less. Like the other, like even stat that I saw is that they found people leaders rarely, if ever, have one to two hours of uninterrupted thinking time. One to two hours a week of uninterrupted thinking time. And when I think about that, how the heck can people be intentional or purpose driven or anything that as self-aware as it relates to emotionally intelligent when we don't even have time to think we're not even eating anymore i made a joking comment last year that i was on a campaign mission to bring back lunch again because people have completely forgot that they need to eat we are so used to continuing to go through go through grow through and there's josh you and i could have a much bigger conversation and i would definitely like to have you back because i think this might be someone's first time hearing this but this isn't going to be your last time hearing these types of conversations. Um, but Josh, what what final thoughts would you want to leave our audience with today? So again, the, the good news is these are measurable, learnable skills. And we've seen in so many sectors and places, we've seen it with professional football players, we've seen it with IT professionals, we've seen it with teachers, we've seen it with managers, seen it uh, over and over and over again that a little bit of emotional intelligence makes a tremendous difference in your effectiveness, in your relationships, and in your well-being and quality of life. So you can do it and you can grow in these areas and and it will make a difference. Uh, It starts with your decision to say, uh, maybe you're good at it. That's great. 
now maybe it's time to get better. And if you want to grow your emotional intelligence, uh, we're very happy to help you. Well, how can they get in touch with you? How can they get to know a little bit more about you and what you do? How can our audience reach you after this podcast? So sixseconds.org is the nonprofit that I run, and we have tons of resources on the website, lots of articles in lots of different sectors and spaces, case studies, uh, interactive activities on the website, uh, research that you can explore. Uh, we also have um, free events basically every week somewhere in the world. And then we have paid courses and we have uh, coaching that's available. So uh, if you want to start digging into this, I would explore sixseconds.org. And then personally, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and I'm very happy to have you connect with me. We also have a LinkedIn group that has 180,000 plus at this moment uh, active members and people are sharing ideas and tips and strategies and questions. And so uh, you can kind of redirect some of your social media time to be also engaging in emotional intelligence. So reach out to me on LinkedIn and explore sixseconds.org. Josh, thank you so much for coming onto the show today, helping us really build that case that we do need to build more emotionally intelligent teams. We need to start talking about emotions. People need it. You listening might likely need this. Thank you for bringing awareness to this very important challenge right now that many organizations, the world is facing as it relates to work. I really appreciate you coming here and sharing your research and your experience with our audience. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, talking about how to put emotional intelligence into action with Joshua Friedman. I really enjoyed the conversation. I love the mission of what we can do to create more emotionally intelligent organizations and leaders. It's incredibly important to our ability to be successful and feel fulfilled and happy at work. If you know someone that could benefit from hearing the message that Josh shared, share this podcast episode with them. And of course, leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. And finally, if us at Crestcom can help you in any way to develop your leadership skill set, we want the opportunity. We offer a complimentary two-hour leadership skills workshop that can be done in person or virtually, all designed with your team in mind. And so if you're interested in learning more, head on over to crestcom.com and there you can request a free leadership skills workshop where we can come in and work with your team and help you work better together. Until next time.